Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Joanne Poyer joined VON Canada in 2014 as President and Chief Executive Officer. From 2008 until 2014, Joanne was Chief Executive Officer of Ottawa Community Housing Corporation. Under her leadership, Ottawa Community Housing received several awards for excellence, including the 2011 Ottawa Chamber of Commerce Business Achievements Awards Nonprofit Organization of the Year. Joanne was previously Vice President, Resource Development and Chief Executive Officer of the Government of Canada Workplace Charitable Campaign for United Way Ottawa, First Vice President, Business Development for MBNA Canada Bank, and Deputy City Manager, Corporate Services with the City of Gloucester. She has worked for more than 35 years in the private, public, and not-for-profit sectors. Joanne is also actively involved in the community and on several boards of directors. She is a member of the Institute of Corporate Directors. She is currently the chair of the board of the Shaw Centre, vice chair of the board of directors of the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, and a member of the boards of TVO and Callion. Previous board roles include the chair of the Change Foundation, vice chair of Ottawa Public Health, and founding board member of the board of directors of the Champlain Local Health Integration Network. Joanne has received several awards for her work in the community, including the 2020 Ottawa Distinguished Women Lifetime Achievement Award, the 2020 Community Service Award for University of Ottawa Alumni Association, and the 2012 Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. Good morning, Joanne. How are you? I'm fine, Leah. How about you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here uh, at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. I've been really excited to chat with you, and I'm happy that we were able to make this happen. And I would love to just kick it off by hearing a bit about your story, because I do know that your background's a little bit more unusual when it comes to uh, healthcare. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I graduated from university. I was 19 years old and uh, went into the private sector for the first few years and then eventually went into municipal government. And that's where I first developed a love for community. And, and from there, um, went back to the private sector and realized that where I needed to be was in the not-for-profit sector where the community is important. So the last few jobs that I've held, the last few organizations I've run have been in the not-for-profit and most recently, of course, in healthcare. So it's really about, um, you know, um, human services in a community setting. And I'm curious to know now, you mentioned community being really important to you. At what point in time did you recognize that the private sector was just not for you? Well, I think it's more the mandate of organizations. So when I was in the private sector, I prided myself on trying to uh, have uh, sound business relationships with clients, whether it was in um, 
you know, a staffing agency or most recently at a bank. And um, what I felt uh, was missing was that connection to the community. So even when I worked in the private sector, I volunteered, uh, for example, at United Way um, and on campaign cabinet. And that's where I realized that that's where I needed to be. So this would be in the early 200, 2000s, rather. And um, what I ended up doing was uh, applying for the position uh, at United Way when it came out. And, you know, after a few months there, I realized that I'd really found my niche. Hmm. How did you know? Um, I think what's really important is when the work that an organization does is so aligned with your values that you can't wait to get up in the morning and go face the day. And right. um, really also recognizing that what makes me feel really good is when I'm helping others, when I'm doing something that really matters and, and contributing in a significant way with the team that I work with. Hmm. That's beautifully put. Um, I love what you're saying about, you know, being want, wanting to get up in the morning and having that drive to get up in the morning and do that type of work. What I'm wondering about, what has led you to the, the place that you're at now? Sure. Um, well, I first, when I was at United Way, I was um, recruited to sit on um, the equivalent of a health authority board. And um, that's where I was first exposed in a more direct way to healthcare. And it really spoke to me. Um, and then uh, when I left United Way, it was to go lead an organization. It was Ottawa Community Housing, which is social housing. And of course, we all recognize that... Um, uh, the health of a person um, and housing is a social determinant of that health. So it really deepened my understanding of, you know, human uh, frailty and vulnerabilities and the role that well-placed organizations with, um, you know, caring volunteers and staff can have um, on a person's quality of life as well as the broader community uh, around it. So what do you do now? So what I do now is lead uh, VON Canada, which is the Victorian Order of Nurses. We provide home and community care. So whether it's a personal support worker or an RN going in to provide clinical or um, assistance, personal assistance to someone like, um, you know, light housekeeping, meal preparation. We also provide a whole um, range of community support services like adult day programs, meals on wheels, exercise programs, and, you know, self-care for elders. And, um, you know, I have 12,000 volunteers and staff in both, wow. uh, including Ontario and Nova Scotia. And it really is a privilege to, um, you know, lead an organization for whom people, um, it's a vocation, not just a job. So it really is a privilege to, to work at VON. How would you say the role at, that you're doing now at VON has differed from maybe your past work? I would say that um, probably being a national organization, at least in a, a few provinces, it has a broader uh, scope, of, a broader reach. Um, and I think that um, because of the challenges in healthcare right now, it's both challenging and rewarding. And, um, you know, most recently, as an example, living through COVID, working for a healthcare organization, there are some challenges there in terms of making sure that 
your team feel supported and that you uh, continue to encourage a, a certain resilience. And, you know, what's been challenging, and we just celebrated, um, you know, a very sad event uh, of a year ago in April where uh, in Nova Scotia, um, someone went on a shooting rampage and killed 22 people, and two people uh, that were killed were our staff. So that, um, you know, that changed things. Even though we're a large organization, we are really like a family, and we have sites across both provinces. So it's, it's really trying to reach out to have a presence and to be, um, have that support be felt across a broader organization. You said something that was really interesting, that VON is very much like a family. And I think in a lot of ways that is quite unique to healthcare organizations, um, particularly just as we know, healthcare organizations can be quite complex. Um, there's a lot of individuals that are part of it and make up the uh, complexity that exists. What do you think contributes to that sense of family within VON? I think what we, we try to do is to set up that culture of caring because in order for us to care for our clients, we have to care for one another. And, you know, our work is very distributed across many sites. So we try to establish, you know, a, a strong culture of caring and compassion, but we also allow the individual sites to establish their own uh, little culture, if you will. And um, I think it's just the nature of the person that VON attracts, where it's really important to be part of a team and to be part of a family. And we really saw it through that tragedy because um, everyone came together and supported one another. And I'll give you an example. Um, there was a memorial ride um, because people during COVID couldn't actually go and comfort their colleagues and the families. And I found that really difficult because normally I would have just jumped on a plane and gone there myself to comfort mm -hmm. everyone. And so what they did was they organized a memorial ride of over 300 cars where they had signs written, you know, VON angels and that pride and that comfort that they offered to the family and to the community was really uh, quite moving and very greatly appreciated. That's so incredibly powerful. Um, I know definitely as you share that with me, I can feel the emotion behind that. Um, and uh, what I'm wondering is around the organization of that ride, who was the driver of that? You know, it's the colleagues, the co-workers wow. um, of, of those individuals and uh, working alongside uh, their managers. And they really, really felt supported uh, by their managers. And in fact, even a year later, uh, I tape a, a biweekly video message to staff. And that's one way for me to stay connected. And I, I often get emails from all over the place um, with a note of appreciation or to tell a story that they hope I'll recount 
to everyone at my next video message. But even as recently as two weeks ago, there was someone who wrote a note about how she felt supported by her manager during that tragedy. And I'm going to read it at my next video message. And it was just so appreciative of um, the work that that person did, you know, whether it was on the weekend or in the evenings, to be able to support the team through that awful tragedy. It sounds like it was very much a, almost a grassroots type of initiative. Precisely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what makes us unique is that um, even though we have 6,500 staff and another 6,000 volunteers, because we are very distributed and some of our sites are small, we have large uh, sites, we have medium sites, and then we have tiny little sites. And, you know, that then provides that environment for staff to work closely together and to really feel that connection. I'm interested in what you said about each site creating its own almost culture within the larger culture. As a leader, how do you balance that? Uh, so enabling and empowering each site to have their own culture while also maintaining that cohesive feel to the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And certainly uh, the video messages, we have a newsletter. I do town hall meetings um, at least once a year and preferably in person. And feeling that connection um, and talking to them about what our strategic plans are and how they fit into those plans, as well as, you know, we're rolling out um, a more fulsome employee recognition program where we encourage people to nominate one another and within the, the parameters that we established as an organization. So it's touching the floor and the ceiling at the same time and really making the sites, uh, giving them permission, so to speak, to be able to do it their own ways with the personalities that they have at those sites, but in the context of being part of something greater and bigger. So one thing that it's occurred to me is not everyone listening may know the history of VON. And I'm wondering if you can just provide a, a brief history, but uh, moreover, because of the history that exists, how do you honor that history while also moving forward and continuing to drive forward? Sure. So um, VON came about in 1897. We were founded by uh, Lady Aberdeen, who was the Governor General's wife at the time, who was a nurse, and it was recognized that there were needs in the community for uh, community nursing. And so, you know, we're quite proud to say that uh, we've been through two world wars, uh, the Depression, the Spanish flu, all of those other things. And, you know, what made us um, unique is that we founded home care in Canada and um, we also were able to pivot with the times. So in some of the communities, um, you know, it was reported back that we would we founded a community hospital and then turned it back to the community to run. We founded a lot of community programs and then the government took over the funding and we would move on to fulfill another need. And so there's a long and distinguished history. And I think um, what that does is it establishes a certain trust in our brand 
the fact that uh, we've been here through those decades and that our intent is to continue being here for decades to come. So it is a, an important balance to be able to say, yes, these are the things that we were able to sustain and survive and create and innovate. And on that, along those lines, is to continue to see what are the needs in the future. Um, you know, for example, in Ontario, we have, while we provide home care, we have also uh, provided more and more of those community support services because we've come to realize that the way to keep someone aging well and aging at home is to have those wraparound services. So what keeps a person at home may be a clinical, you know, um, if they've had surgery and we provide wound care, but a lot of it is really those support services like clearing your laneway, um, you know, light housekeeping, meal preparation, um, hygiene, and those kinds of things that will keep people at home safely. And so um, right now we're entering a digital health uh, strategy journey where we're going to be looking to automate a lot of our um, services and our connections to clients with the view to create an electronic health record to then you know, be able to integrate and connect to the broader healthcare system. And those are the innovations that are really, really important. I would also point out that we are a registered charity. So we do uh, fundraising and uh, have been uh, blessed uh, to get donations to sustain a lot of our programs and services on the ground. We have uh, grassroots community boards at a lot of our sites that are comprised of volunteers who do fundraising with and for us. And that really uh, as well keeps us close to what the needs are as well as bringing additional resources that may not be covered by government funding. With the fact that you are a registered charity and do need to fundraise, what's the strategy for communicating the value of VON to the broader community who maybe don't necessarily know the ins and outs of, of your services? Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's where uh, taking a site-by-site -site approach is often beneficial. Right now, we're working with our uh, community boards who do local fundraising for programs and services, and they do advocacy on the ground with us as well, local um, you know, MLAs and MPPs and politicians, as well as the local organizations that they fundraise uh, with. And then uh, what we're doing is launching a capital campaign for a digital health strategy that is going to be driven uh, from a grassroots perspective, but speaking to that broader strategy about system change and how aspiring to have an electronic health record can empower clients and their families uh, and caregivers to be able to self-monitor and take an even more active role in their own self-care and their own health care. So those are the things that um, we are balancing, of course, is always the, the local um, grassroots movement, but being part of something bigger. I really appreciate what you're saying about um, that balance. Uh, and what, what I also hear in what you just said was that part around helping people to create that connection to what you're doing, um, you know, and, and I, 
I would assume that storytelling factors into that quite a bit, telling the stories and experiences, the lived experiences of the clients that you serve is probably a powerful piece of that. Yes, it's a pretty critical piece because when we um, issue and mail our donors a, a donor impact report, it's a storytelling that speaks to your heart and that really makes you realize in a real way what all of this is about and the difference it can make. So those, those stories and those testimonials are really important. So I'm curious to hear what has been, in your experience, maybe your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge has been, um, I, I guess, in the last few years is leading a large organization where change is the constant and, you know, you, you add on to that our COVID reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are private not-for-profit, so, you know, financial sustainability is always an area of concern and there are never enough resources to go through. And I think it's really um, what's a privilege and a challenge as well is how to continue leading through inspiration and motivation, a workforce that already is motivated, but really having them feel connected and feel part of something bigger. And I think that healthcare is really such an important area because if people don't have their health, they don't have anything. And so I would say that you know, it's, it's managing a larger, more complex organization and really being able to see ahead and to help others see that same path with you. So it's, it's a challenge, but it's also a, a great opportunity. It's an interesting thought about when your workforce is already quite motivated, they have those internal motivators uh, and they have that deeper sense of purpose for what they're doing. How do you inspire them even to the next level? Yeah, and and I think that's by keeping it real and having the ongoing dialogue um, and having them be and feel connected to something because intrinsically they have the right value system. Mm -hmm. And for those who may join the organization, uh, community nursing is difficult. It's challenging. And, and um, I'll say that, you know, you're not working in an institutional setting where things are stable every day. We have a huge safety initiative underway because our workplace is the person's home. And we do walk into all kinds of different situations that may be challenging. And so it's... Um, you know, our safety initiative, I think, has really signaled to our staff that we care about them, we care about their safety. And it's not just the client safety, but rather keeping them safe. I'll I'll tell you a story about, you know, going to a meeting where we were taking over a small um, organization that could no longer continue, and the people were very happy to be joining VON. And this was in the Cape Breton area. And I drove there, uh, flew there, and then drove um, with the team to go talk to them to welcome them to the organization. And I was talking about our safety initiative. And at the break, a young nurse came to see me to say, thank you so much for talking about our safety because we always hear how we have to, you know, everything is for the client and keeping them safe. But to hear that you care about us makes a big difference too. And that really was an eye-opener for me to realize that they need to feel cared about and cared for as well in order to then provide the best service. Because 
what we find in healthcare, frontline workers will sometimes put their own, um, you know, safety at risk in order to help someone. And what we have to do is work with them to not place themselves at risk while they're helping their client. It's a very powerful comment that that nurse shared with you. Um, And, you know, what's coming up for me as you shared that story is just my own experiences with safety uh, in the acute care system. And obviously that's a very different context than the community uh, uh, context. But I distinctly remember situations in which I felt unsafe. And to your point, being unable to provide the best care possible because I felt unsafe. Yeah, and you know, we of course provide services in urban areas, but a lot of our services are provided in rural areas. And when I drove to this uh, site in the Cape Breton area, it was cottage country. And you know, we we grapple with, um, if you have to go provide services in the middle of nowhere and you may lose self-service for a bit, how does that feel? So what, what can we do to make people feel connected? So those are things that we are always looking at better and more stable ways to, to make our staff feel uh, connected and, and safe. And, you know, chances are, um, and of course, institutional care is extremely important, but, you know, we deal with dogs and, you know, containing your dog when somebody's there and all kinds of other challenges that you might not face when um, you're in a building. And so uh, those are things that, um, you know, uh, we feel are really important. And um, as an example, I, I asked for every safety report to be sent to me. And, and that was an eye-opener in terms of seeing um, the challenges that can occur, uh, whether it's, um, you know, someone with dementia who may not be um, at their best with our staff mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of situations so that then we can develop strategies and, and training sessions to um, empower our, our staff with the right tools, as well as, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting, literally. So how do you lift someone safely? When do you use a lift? When do you use uh, another tool that might be having to be borrowed from a hospital or from some other place? Because often people think of home care, they think of personal support work, which is extremely important. But we also provide very clinical services, you know, cancer treatments, um, you know, injections and those kinds of things. So it's really, really important that we do it safely. Wow. And I'm sure the topic of safety has been largely impacted by COVID as well. And I'm curious to hear from you. What are you seeing with COVID? Yes. So we are certainly seeing COVID fatigue. I mean, at the beginning, uh, this was felt worldwide and certainly in Canada was the shortage of personal protective uh, equipment or PPE and having to source our own um, stock to be able to provide the, the safety precautions. Um, I think we we do have some people on leave because they weren't able to provide services safely or they have children at home that are um, not able to go to school. So it's certainly, you know, when you read about articles that speak to 
um, a, a large part of the pressures being on the shoulders of, of female workers, we certainly see that. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to work with staff to, to work on alternative arrangements and to encourage them to continue because resilience is, is, is certainly, you know, when we talk about EQ, emotional quotient, we're talking about adversity quotient, AQ, and that really is about that resilience that we need to continue. Mm-hmm. Resilience is certainly, uh, shall we say, a, a prominent topic these days in light of COVID, particularly now as Canada grapples with the third wave. From your perspective, what needs to be done to redefine resilience in light of all of these challenges? I think one of the things that we're spending more and more time speaking about is how to um, have that self-care, that work um, and life balance, and the things that you need to be good to yourself so that you can then be there and be strong for others. So we are running more wellness workshops and presentations and providing more and more of those tools. And really for the first time, speaking about it, in, a, in a, a more prominent way so that people f- don't feel that uh, any shame when they are not feeling quite at their own strong self. Mm-hmm. And, you know, providing examples and really humanizing it, I think, is, is important. It also, um, you know, will convey the important message that we care and that self-care is important and that not to be glossed over so we're spending more time at, at you know with those kinds of conversations as well as uh, getting people's input as to how we can schedule better so that they can have more of a balance and how they can we can be more flexible as an employer so they can provide care for their children as well as uh, you know uh, be the breadwinner so to speak. Hmm. You said something really interesting uh, that struck me about humanizing how people are feeling. Um, And I think that's something that sometimes is a bit of a gap in healthcare, um, based in my own experience around this idea that healthcare providers need to be strong for everyone else. And of course, there's consequences to that way of thinking and not humanizing the experience of our providers. And I certainly hear that within COVID. And I would imagine uh, in the aftermath of the shooting tragedy, that was probably front of mind for you as well. It it was. And, um, you know, I certainly got feedback when um, the video message that I provided uh, as this was taking place um, I'll, I'll f- never forget the one letter that we received that was written by two sisters um, for whom both providers had provided care for their mom. And the beautiful moving letter, and I remember at the, at the beginning saying to the team on video message, I hope I can get through this. And just, you know, it's okay to show some emotion. It's okay to be able to say this is tough and we're feeling it. And, uh, you know, when we talk about palliative care and saying we've all been caregivers, we all have lost parents and, you know, maybe telling a bit of a story about the loss of my own parents. I think that's what I mean by humanizing so that you give people permission uh, to view you as a person, not just a leader. 
and to feel that emotion with you. And they certainly have challenges in their own personal lives. And that's okay to talk about those. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying about modeling that way of being yourself. Um, You know, helping people to recognize that you yourself are human. And also that if, if the leader is able to do that, then it's okay for everyone to do that. And, uh, you know, that idea of modeling the way I think is so critical around this. What else can be done from the perspective of, of leaders within the organization to continue to support this idea of making it okay for people to not be okay? Mm-hmm. I think we have to continue past COVID. I mean, to me, there's a societal movement that's taking place. There's a shift here, whether it's equity, um, diversity, inclusion, whether it is stress management and, you know, mental wellness and mental health. I think those are societal movements that are here to stay, that I think um, COVID has shone a light on them. But to, to think that we would return to the same thing that and the same environment as before, I don't think is realistic. And I'd like to think that we'll all be better and stronger for it, frankly. So interesting that you say that, because that's something I've heard from many different leaders in different areas of uh, our healthcare system, different capacities and whatnot in that things are not going to go back to the way they were before. And in fact, that's a good thing. You know, there are things we can take from this, despite all of the tragedy and the hardships, there's things we can take forward um, that will make us all stronger and better. And so with the idea of, of success, what's been really the key to the success and well-being of VON over the years? What's made the difference? I think it's because um, we have attracted the right people with the great values. We work closely with volunteers, and um, our our mission is really to help people live life to the fullest. So, and that changes and shifts with the decades. And it's being able to identify uh, ahead of time what those shifts are going to be and adapt to them. So, you know, it's, it's really that balance between honoring our past, but also recognizing that we have to do things uh, differently in the future. And we've been able to innovate all of these decades, and, and that will not change. Uh, I think there's a, I, I've been talking with staff about the head and the heart. So we have a huge heart at VON, and applying that business rigor um, as a not-for-profit and a registered charity is also very important because we're not a f- for-loss organization, and we laugh about that. You're a not-for-profit, not a, um, a not for, you know for loss. So we really do need to have that business rigor combined with caring uh, and being true to your values, and it's that combination I think that um, will uh, be our mainstay and will see us well into the future. It is a balance, and I imagine it's a balance that is uh, always ever evolving as well. So what do you see for the future of VON? What's exciting? Well, I would definitely say that digital health transformation is going to be a large part of it. 
um, you know, imagine um, the future where someone can self-monitor. They can have uh, virtual uh, calls when a, an in-person call is not necessary, where they don't have to travel to a clinic to get, uh, you know, those services and that assistance, but really reserving it for when they can. And then being connected so that when someone is discharged from a hospital into the community, there's one electronic health record that follows them so that the family and the person himself or herself doesn't have to tell the whole story all over again. And that the, the different, you know, the primary care doctors and the hospital and um, home care are all communicating about that Mrs. Jones as one caring team with uh, that full integration. So I think that that's the power of what we see coming around the corner is that ability to work as part of a bigger system in a much more seamless way. It's amazing to think about the possibilities around that. For the staff of VON, what do you see is the future for them? Well, I will tell you they're very excited about um, digital health and, uh, oh, absolutely, and, and having those tools and not having to, you know, do things manually or have spreadsheets, but have having things done more automatically. So they're very excited about that. And I think um, what they're optimistic about as well is the continued valuing of community support services as alternatives. So for example, let's say in an area we have a wait list for home support. Instead of sending someone in three times a day to make Mrs. Jones her meal, we can have Meals on Wheels delivered by volunteers. And that might free up um, some time you know, to have her go to an adult day program or where there's socialization and those other kinds of services because what we realize more so uh, every day is that the social programs are as important as the health programs for keeping someone well. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for your time today. I am uh, so grateful that you were able to make time for this conversation and I am also very appreciative of learning more about VON, the work they're doing, and as you said, all of the incredible people that contribute um, either as employees and staff or as volunteers as well. Um, it sounds like an amazing organization. Well, I'm very proud of working here and uh, having the privilege of leading it. And Leah, thank you so much for your interest in VON and the work we do. It's, it's very gratifying. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.